I'm delighted for all of you who are joining us as we engage our second week of teaching in our Christmas series, which I've called Making Room. And let me give a real shout out to those of you who may be first-time guests uh, visiting and being a part of our uh, worship experience in San Jose. I hope the experience has been awesome. Hey, if you guys listening in San Jose, go ahead and make some noise, make some noise, make some noise in San Jose. Praise God. And a huge shout out to those of you who may be listening to me for the very first time uh, vis-a-vis social media, or maybe you participated in our online worship gathering for the first time. Thank you. You are super. We're so delighted that you're part of this experience and hope it will be worth your time to continue to engage with us on a regular basis. Now, God, we ask that you pour your spirit out and work miracles, move supernaturally through this teaching for your glory and the benefit of all of us, including the one teaching in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Today, we're going to tackle what I'm calling breaking the Christmas paradox. Can you say the Christmas paradox? If you're typing in the chat, just type the Christmas paradox. We're going to look at what that is in a few moments and then wrestle with how do we break that power in our lives so that we can enjoy what God intends for us to experience at Christmas. All right, let's revisit the exact same passage that we looked at last week. It is impregnated with extraordinary levels and layers of meaning. We want to look at yet another layer of meaning in this passage of Scripture. All right, here it is. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she, Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And of course, It goes on to say, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Can you just simply say amen and amen? So let's look at this text. Let's revisit it. And she, Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them. Everybody shout them. For them in the end. Today we want to look at, uncover, and wrestle with breaking the power of the Christmas paradox. We want to figure out what it is, and we want to start the process. We won't completely break the power, but we want to start the process of breaking the power of Christmas paradox because what we find in that paradox is something that tends to hound us and hunt us, if you will, every single day beyond Christmas. Now, picture in your mind, if you will. We'll come back to that in a minute. Consider this. Mary and Joseph, they come from Nazareth, make a long trip to Bethlehem because Joseph is a part of the lineage of King David. And he needs to return to his family hometown so that he can be counted because there is a census going on. We know that when he uh, arrived, they're there in the city of Bethlehem. And we know that there comes a time when Mary is really in labor. We figured that out from verse 6 when it says, And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. It goes on to describe what took place. It's in that moment that they go to what is called 
translated an in. Now, the Greek word that is translated in is not the same Greek word that means a commercial in. This particular Greek word suggests a guest room. It points us to the fact that probably they knocked on the door of a relative or a friend because Bethlehem was packed with people, family members and friends there because of the census. They knocked on the door. And whoever opened the door saw Joseph and they saw Mary, but they didn't see Jesus. They saw that Mary was pregnant, of course. But they had no idea that if they created room for Joseph and Mary, they would be creating room for the Savior of the world. They had no idea that if they had space for Joseph and Mary, they would be making space for the one who, in fact, would be the Messiah, the Lord. They had absolutely no idea. All they saw was Mary and Joseph. Jesus was there, nestled in the womb of Mary. Here's the first insight. If you make room for them, you make room for him. That's the fascinating thing, isn't it? That so often Jesus comes to us, the Savior of the world comes to us, nestled in the lives of others sometimes, family members and relatives, uh, that we are tempted to pass by because we are uniquely busy. But if we make room for them, we make room for him. That if we tend to be compassionate and thoughtful and sensitive towards them, maybe they're strangers on other occasions, and not family members and friends, we are thoughtful and compassionate and sensitive to him. Now, that's the first insight that Christmas should bring into focus for us, and I just simply wanted to share that with you. Now, the second insight uh, is also important. Notice the shift that happens in the environment. You can consider in your mind that they're knocking on the door, the people answer the door, and the house is full. The the family that lives there and then whoever is occupying the guest room and you could sense the hustle and the bustle and the noise and the movement in the house. And some would suggest that the people of the house didn't have room for Joseph and Mary. But in fact, they did. They made room. They made room. Because uh, uh, tradition tells us that in the basement of a house like that, was usually a room that was created so that the animals could come in out of the elements. And so there would be a feeding trough or a manger there. Or, as others would suggest, there was a cave behind this particular house where the animals were kept safe and sheltered. In either case, whatever the person was, whoever answered that door, essentially said to them, look, we don't have room in this part of the house. We don't have room in this part of our life. You know, there's a lot of hustle and bustle and noise here. But we have a space. It's a quiet space. It's, it's downstairs or it's out behind in a cave. And, and, and there's some animals. There's a manger there. But we will welcome you into that space. All right, here's the second insight. This, 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 this insight is this, that Jesus is born in the quiet where life is slow. He's outside of the regular hustle and bustle. And so I say today, thank God that the owner of that house had a quiet place where Jesus could be born. Now, here's the question that Christmas begs us to consider. It's not simply the question, as you might 
guess from the title, Making Room. It's not simply the question of whether or not we will make room for Jesus in our lives. That is an important question, and we need to wrestle with that question. But the first question is, do we have a quiet space? Or maybe I should say it this way, uh, where are the quiet places in your life? Where are they? Where are the quiet places that are structured in your day? Where are the quiet places that are structured or shaped or built into your routine across a week? Where are the quiet places? Because what we're learning as we read this unique text is that more often than not, that our encounter with the Savior of the world often happens. Come on now. If it's not going to happen as we welcome people into our lives that need an extra touch of compassion or sensitivity, sometimes it happens there, the encounter, right? And sometimes, and often I would say, it happens not in the noise and the hustle and the bustle, but it happens in the quiet places where life has slowed down. Do you have any of those places in your life? Where are the quiet places in your life? That is the question that the Christmas season begs us to ask. Now, I've backed into what I'm calling the strange paradox of Christmas. Are you ready for it? Here's the strange paradox of Christmas. That the Christmas season, many of us who are Jesus followers, we refer to this as the Advent season, uh, is designed to be a time for our lives to slow down. Because it's only slowing down and finding the quiet places do we get to reflect and be blessed by the good news. But rather than our lives slowing down during the Christmas season, just check out your schedule. You know this to be true. Our lives pick up pace. It gets faster. It speeds up, if you will. And yet, I want to suggest to you that the entire month of December ought to be a time for us to reset and to refocus on the good news that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us in whatever the circumstances of life we're dwelling in. The God of the universe has come to be with us. You are not alone. But rather than life slowing down, it speeds up. Paradox. That this Advent season should be a time when our our life activities shrink. It should be the time that we do less, but in fact, this is a time that we find ourselves doing more. Whatever our regular routine, regular activities are prior to December, right, we usually keep those activities, and then we add on top of those activities a whole layer of Christmas (laughs) activities, as though we're supposed to be able to get done in 24 hours uh, over the course of five days what we could not get done simply with our regular activities. Now we're going to do that plus Christmas, (laughs) and so Here's how I talk about this season. It's a season where we are running from, running to. Come on, say it with me. Running from, running to. Yeah, running from work, running to shopping. Running from this and running to that. No wonder. You know, this is the season where at the end of the day, our lives are to be, as we, as we think about the meaning of Christmas and slow our lives down and sing the Christmas carols and are blessed by the lights and the gifts and all this. Man, this is supposed to be a time of patience and kindness and more joy, more peace, just kind of just moving through our, our, our living. But in fact, 
Can you say paradox? The paradox is that the Christmas season for many of us is a time of less patience and less kindness and less joy and less peace. You know why? Because we're running from here to there and we're pushing through uh, traffic and we're pushing through crowds and we're on a schedule and we're running behind. And so we're fussing and cussing and pushing all the while saying, Merry Christmas (laughs) or Happy Holidays. Yeah. Where is the space that we allow love to attend to our souls? You know, here's what Paul says that he talks about love. First Corinthians 13, 4. It's instructive. He says, love is patient and love is kind. Love that attends to our soul is patient and kind. Well, here's what John Mark Cormer says when he, he's done a lot of work on uh, on slowing life down in order to have substantive growing encounters with Jesus. And here's how he paraphrases that verse. He says essentially what it means is love is unheard, unhurried. It's a remarkable thing, but, you know, we learn through Scripture that God is love. And we know that uh, the, 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 the visible image of the invisible God comes to us in the person of Jesus. And if you've ever read the gospel, have you ever noticed that Jesus is never in a hurry? Love is never in a hurry. And here's the implication of the point that John Marks makes. It's simply this. Hurrying is a barrier to experiencing God and connecting with others. It is hard to experience God going from here to there. It is hard to experience God. Uh, It is hard to connect deeply with others always on the go. This month of December, if no other month, this month of December, the invitation from above is that we use this as a time to reset, to slow life down, to find that basement, to find that cave, if you will, to build into our routine some quiet places. Quiet places where the birth of the Savior can happen afresh in your life, in my life. So I ask you again, where's the place of quiet in your life? Where's the place where life slows down across the routine of your week? Where's the place that you have built into your living where you catch your breath, but you also catch the breath of God? Where's that place? Where's that place? And if we don't know where that place is, if we don't have those places, then the question is, why? Why don't we have those places? Where are they? Notice this passage. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be the source of great joy for all the people. Why don't we have those places? Notice the word afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, of course, the context of that text is clear, right? It is, uh, it is uh, the angel shows up, the light is shining, uh, people are immediately exposed. There's a, something celestial is taking place. Something supernatural is taking place. We can't fully understand what's going on. So, of course, you're afraid. 
But I think that notion of fear is an important insight as relates to what keeps us trapped in busyness. You know, I want to suggest that all of us have a Grinch in our lives that tries to steal Christmas every year. A Grinch. You, you can call it busyness. In the biggest and the largest sense of the word, it's busyness. But, but in the simplest form of the word, uh, the Grinch is your iPhone <laughs> or your Android phone. Yeah, the, the, the phone you keep in your purse or by your headstand or in your back pocket. This is the Grinch that is constantly trying to figure out how to steal Christmas. In the silence of the moment, you're suddenly disturbed by bzzz or bing, a notification. This is it. It represents the social media that preoccupies our time. It represents how we stay connected to our jobs. And it, 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 it facilitates those of us who are workaholics. You know, I heard this said the other day. I thought it was a fascinating uh, insight. It says that if you are an alcoholic, you are advised to get treatment. If you are a workaholic, you are celebrated. <laughs> this phone is at the very center. Uh, it represents, and for the purpose of this message, it's just going to represent the totality of all the different things that distract and pull at our attention, not just during Christmas, not just during December, but, but 24-7 across our weekly routine, distraction, busyness, pulling at our attention. December is the month that we reset. December is the month that we, we, we declare freedom from the tyranny of the phone. <laughs> Why do we allow our phones or for others? And by the way, I love my phone. I love my phone. <laughs> Let me tell you a quick story. Just show you that I'm really preaching to me in this context. Last Saturday, my wife and I, we were going to spend the whole day together. So we went out to, uh, to the beach uh, there off the, in San Francisco. We were walking down the beach. It's beautiful. Just a beautiful, it's a unique day. It was a cloudy day with the sun trying to break through the fog. Uh, the ocean was just gorgeous, watching the rolling of the water go in and go out. And we were arm in arm. And then I took out my phone. <laughs> I said, baby, let me get a picture. <laughs> you know, get a picture, you know, catch the moment. And I can also post it. Oh, so she said, will you put that phone away? It's just you and I. With I said, okay. Then we walk a little further, and I'm looking at the waves, and they're so captivated. Next day, I pull out my phone. What are you doing? I'm just videoing the wave. I said, will you put that phone away? Then <laughs> 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 we walk a little further, we see... These very beautiful, unique dogs. I wonder what kind of dog it is. Next thing I know, I put my phone out. Because, you know, if you take a picture, the phone will tell you what it is. She's, I'm not going to tell you again. Put the phone away. <laughs> of course, I put the phone away. Disconnected from the phone. Reconnected with her. Ended up having an amazing day. How could I ever allow a phone to disrupt what God had plan for me and my wife that day. 
But we do it all the time, don't we? So for some, the real discussion here is at the level of the phone. But the larger discussion for us is busyness. Busyness. Why do we allow busyness and distractions to steal the quiet places, the precious moments with loved ones, like with my wife, away from us? Let me give you three reasons. There are a lot more, but let me just give you three. One is we're afraid of missing out. We're afraid of missing that text or missing that phone call or missing that opportunity to post something that will generate uh, X number of views on social media. We don't want to miss out. And as a result, we end up missing out. I was about to miss out on one of the most precious days with my wife of 36, almost 37 years. Because perhaps I didn't want to miss out. Second, For some of us, we're afraid of looking bad. We feel like we've got to be connected 24-7 because we don't ever want to come across as though we don't care. We don't care for our work or our boss or whatever the case might be, right? As opposed to developing the discipline to say that there are times that we are available to others and then there are times that we are disconnected because our souls need us to be disconnected. Our relationships need us to be disconnected. It's not that we don't care about that. It is that we care a whole lot about our souls and our minds and those that are most precious to us. And thirdly, it's because sometimes it's the fear of low productivity. I heard this mentioned the other day. Uh, The guy, he compared it. He said, uh, I'm not sure I agree with the comparison, but I, I, I certainly agree with the concepts beneath the comparison. He says we often focus on productivity which is all about accomplishment. How many accomplishments can we make? And that drives our day. As opposed to being focused on fruitfulness, which he defines as all about who we become. I'm not sure that I can slice those two words, fruitfulness and productivity, that way. I think there are good ways to get a handle on. But I 100% agree with the concept. That so often we are overly focused on what we're going to get accomplished as opposed to being at least equally as concerned about what kind of person are we becoming. And I just want to suggest to you and to me, if in fact the first thing we do when we wake up is grab the phone and the last experience we have before we go to sleep is dealing with the phone, that it might suggest we're not becoming the people that we ought to be becoming. I'm thinking about Kathy, the late Kathy, Catherine Puglio. She was a mentor of mine. Uh, she's going to be with the Lord. But back in my Boston days, early Boston days, she was a great prayer intercessor. She inceded for me all the time. And she would say, listen, you know, you've, I was so involved in community work and preaching this and that. She says, you're doing all this good work and great ministry set, but just make sure that you prioritize in spending time at the Savior's feet. And she would just drill that, drill that, drill that. And now in this season of my life, I really, really get it. And that's, that's my biggest priority among anything if I can just, and I don't do it perfectly. I don't. She was saying, you know, you've got to create that private, you've got to slow your life down, right? As a norm, as a discipline. Because if you spend time at the Savior's feet, this is going to materialize in terms of who you're becoming. It's going to deal with your soul. It's going to deal with your mind. It's going to deal with who you're becoming. And your productivity ought to ultimately come out of who you are. Isn't that fascinating? 
Wow. So I'm suggesting that Christmas is this time that we ought to reset. And if we can practice finding those quiet, opening up those spaces to encounter Jesus during the month of December, it might help us to normalize it the other 11 months of the year. But it starts now. So here's the question. How should I respond to the paradox of Christmas? Because if I can figure this out, it can transform how I live my life beyond December. All right, quickly. Number one, let's acknowledge the paradox. We live in this paradox. Let's just acknowledge it. Life should be slowing down and speeding up. Activities should be shrinking. They're growing. We ought to be full of more joy, more peace, more patience, and it's the reverse. And then we've got to make a decision. Because I want you to make a decision right now. Even before you finish listening to this message, you're going to do a couple of things. The first thing you're going to do is slow down and be more present. And whatever structure, whatever occupies, whatever constitutes your day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there are some remarkable gifts of God. You've got to figure out how to slow down every single day, even if it's just, and learn how to be present and to be present to those most important things. So how do we slow down? Well, the Bible teaches us that we have to be intentional. Science also teaches us today, as the more we learn about the human brain, that we have to be disciplined at slowing down because the way the world is structured, right, is fast-paced. It's always pulling at our attention. There's, there's, there's always a notification going off, a text, a bell, or something, right? So in order for us to create those spaces where we will encounter Christ, right, in a unique and powerful way where we attend to our souls, We've got to be intentional. So watch how the Bible teaches this over and over and over and over again. Notice in Colossians, it says this, set your mind. There it is, set. You've got to be intentional. Set your minds on things above. Notice what it says in Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You've got to be intentional. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. Notice what it says in Philippians, fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And then hear it again. Think about the word really means to meditate, ponder, if you will. Uh, uh, Those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Those are the things that tend to your soul, that nurtures your soul, that blesses your mind and your psyche in a very toxic world. If I just might point out, for those of us who would dare spend an hour to two hours watching our favorite news channel, I want to suggest that what we're really doing is we are fixing our thoughts on all that stuff, that poisonous stuff. You know, you should be informed. It takes about 15 minutes to watch the news to really figure out what it is that's going on during the course of the day. You ought to read, you know, whatever uh, you're reading, the Post or the Times, et cetera, et cetera. But don't fixate your thoughts on all that negativity and that toxicity and telling you who you to dislike and who to hate and all that. No, 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 no. The text says meditate, focus your thoughts on stuff that feeds your soul, not destroy your soul. Okay, so how do I do this, pastor? Okay. All right, two quick things. One, practice holy silence. Practice holy silence. I, and I, I want to just refer to silence as holy. 
It is, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe or not. I want to suggest to you, in this world that is shaped and defined by noise, silence is golden and silence is holy. And a lot takes place with your soul in the silence. Now, notice one of the, my favorite Christmas <clears throat> hymns. I'm going to start it, and I want you to help me sing it. Notice this song. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to sing this against all advice. <laughs> but listen to this. <laughs> Sullen night, holy night. And then it says, all is come, all is bright. Stop. Did you notice? It says that Christmas, the night around Jesus' birth, is defined by all is calm, and therefore all is bright. And part of the point I'm making with this message is that for many of us, Christmas is everything but calm. And yet I like the insight that flows out of this, right? In the holy silence of that night, the birth of Jesus happens, right? Uh, uh, in the holy silence, the song says, all is quiet and all is bright. It's referring to the beauty of the, of the stars, etc. But here's what I also know, that in the holy silence, that's where we get revelation. That's where we get insight. That's where all the confusion of our life, a lot of it, begins to come clear. That's where God is able to speak to us in the silence. So I want to suggest to you every single day that you set aside, take five minutes. There's one fellow who says that every time he gets home at night, before he gets out of the car, he takes five minutes, turns off the car, turns off his phone, everything, and there he sits in holy silence. Well, some of us, we don't just should sit. We want to listen. And if we hear God speak to us in the silence, write it down and carry it with us. Even if we're not sure, we think that this is what God is saying. Write it down. The second is what I want to call practice sacred focus. Learn to focus on whatever it is that you're dealing with. I, I, just, I just want, we run from here to there. We just run from activity to activity. We just run. But this is the Christmas season. This is the month of this. This is the time. This is the Advent season. Well, I just want to suggest to you that we just practice being present at least in one thing, in one activity, every single day. You get to pick it. Get to pick it. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, I had a couple of wonderful people who baked cupcakes for me during my birthday. Just beautiful. One uh, articulated what I know the other in her own way also did. And she said that when she was making the cupcakes, as she was pouring the batter, she was praying. God bless this. Bless Pastor Herman. Bless the family. Let this be filled with love and so forth and so on. Now, I'm not suggesting you got to pray over whatever, every activity that you engage in. But what I'm saying is, she was doing that with love. The other person who did it, they did it with love. And, and, and what I'm suggesting is, if you love baking, allow yourself to get lost in the baking. Be and see it as an experience, as a gift from God. Enjoy the baking, right? Enjoy it. Another person said that... Uh, He's learning to see life through a whole new set of lens just by playing with his kids. 
And the guy, he said the other day that uh, he got a six-year-old and then for 30 minutes on the back porch, because the six-year-old was fascinated with this, this line of ants that was working on the back porch. And the six-year-old just watching the ants. He was just fascinated. And so dad just got down there with him. He's fascinated. And he also told the story that uh, a different story. He says he was on the phone uh, and his six-year-old was trying to get his attention. He was talking to, he was hearing his six-year-old, but he was still talking. And the six-year-old climbed up on the couch and grabbed him by the face and turned his face towards him. The six-year-old and said, Daddy, look at me. It's a wonderful image that I think for some of us, God is kind of climbing up on the couch and, and, he, and he's saying, he's looking for those moments to turn our face and he says, look at me. Hear me. Listen to me. You know, last week I preached a message about how God creates space for us in his thoughts, in his heart, in his plan. I've gotten so much feedback about how that message has blessed and fed so many people's lives. They were so blessed by it. But as I think about it, I'm wondering if you heard that message, how did you savor it? Did you just like, wow, that was a great message. You move on. I mean, that's the kind of message where perhaps you go home and you run a tub of water, hot water, and you get some candles and put it around and you sit in the tub and you think about what does it mean that God has made space for you in his thoughts and his heart and his plan? It's the kind of message that you journal about. It's the kind of message that you take a walk down the street and as you look at the beauty of the Christmas lights around, you think about what does it mean that the light of the world has made space for you? Does it mean to slow life down? These are examples of slowing life down, being present in the moment. To make the decision to slow down and be more present. Find one activity every single day. I'm going to be quiet for five minutes. And I'm going to look for an activity or engagement I'm going to be present in, that I'm going to engage in differently. And then make the decision to actually intentionally make room for Jesus and others. Here's one guy said this. I love this quote. He said this. He said, so often we make room for Jesus in our heart, but we don't make room for him in our calendars. Wow. So let me suggest this. Pull out your calendar and make room for Jesus and others in your calendar. Ask yourself the question, where is that space? Look at your to-do list and make room for Jesus and others on your to-do list over the Christmas season. What does that look like? It probably means doing less. <laughs> Look at your opportunities for relationships and where are you making room to go deeper in your relationships? Clear examples. Listen, during the holiday seasons, you're going to have uh, parties and, and um, family gatherings. Well, when you get there, don't just run from one to the other. Turn off the phone. Decide to be fully present there. You know, in our own context, we're working hard to, to help you to, one, schedule in uh, a Christmas gathering because there's unique power in meeting Jesus in a worship experience, right? So we have multiple Christmas gatherings starting uh, December 22nd and it goes all the way to the 24th, right? Now, we have multiple Christmas gatherings, but that's not because we want you to go to every Christmas gathering that we have. They're going to be the same gathering. It's going to be offered multiple times. We teach the same message multiple times. We're giving you an opportunity to pick one that is most convenient for you and your family and your friends, your loved ones. You bring them so they can experience 
uh, not just the singing, not just the preaching, but the singing and the preaching and the collection of the, the, the people, the community itself. All of that is a part of the Christmas experience. But you pick one, you come and enjoy that, and you create space to do other things along the way. On Christmas Day, some churches, they have church service on Christmas Day. That's fine. That's a wonderful thing, but we don't do it. We want, to, we want to make sure you have time with your family, right? So what I've done is created a, a, a Christmas message that we're going to send you a link to that you can, at a time that's convenient with you, to you, for you, with you and your family on Christmas Day. It's about 16, 17 minutes. Open it up on your iPad or whatever the case is. Share it with your family. Put it up on your YouTube channel. And you, can, you will be reminded with a, 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 the reason for the season and a blessing in that experience. And you can carry on with carrying. You see? Creating space. We try to help you to create space. All right. Let's close here. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Here's the last insight. Wrestle with this question. What will I do less so I can enjoy more? Where do I open up the space so that I can savor the good news that salvation is anchored in one called Jesus who uniquely knows my name and who wants to be Born afresh, if you will, in my everyday experience. You won't be perfect at whatever decisions you make. But even in the gaps between what you hope to do and what you hope to be and what you ultimately do and what you ultimately be, there's a place, something called grace. And you meet God right there in the grace, in the gap. God bless you. Make room. We'll see you next week.